Hello, everybody. It's so good to come into you, um, into your homes today to open up the scripture. Today I get to open the scripture up, and I love doing that. And so what we always do when we open up a scripture is we ask, what happened? And then we ask a more important question, what's happening in me right now because of what happened? And so I want to tell you the story of four different people um, from the scripture um, who went through a troubled time. And I want to talk to you about how to build your faith in the middle of a troubled time. We, I think we almost ruined the word faith, that faith um, for the last 250 years has become a what word? Like, what do you believe? Do you believe what I believe? And it's, it became a what word when faith actually in its rawest form is a who do you trust word, not a what do you believe word. If you're going to make it anything, it should be a how do you see the world word. And so um, I, I, want to, um, I want to look at these real people, real places at real time, um, and how they dealt with this. And, um, and let's see if we can find ourselves in the story. This is a guy named John the Baptist, uh, who was a forerunner of Jesus, and he's in prison. And he's writing, he's sending somebody to find out something about Jesus and the nature of his ministry. And this is what it says. Now, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of, of the Christ, he sent word to his, to his disciples and said to them, are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answered them saying, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, in Hebrew, this is something called a remez. It's an allusion to something else that John would have known. He's almost directly quoting Isaiah 61, but he leaves out an important part. Let me just read Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 3. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me, or he Christed me, to, to, to bring the good news to the poor, to send me up to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Well, John's in prison. So here's what's going on here. John's in prison. Jesus quotes Isaiah, but he leaves out the entire part about setting prisoners Free. It's an illusion. It's like John is saying, hey, are you the one that's going to establish the kingdom? And Jesus is like, yes, I'm meeting this. But he leaves the part out about John getting out of prison. And John would have figured that out pretty quickly. He would have memorized Isaiah 61. So when Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 and leaves the part off about a prison escape, well, that's Jesus' way of saying, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but you're going to have to be in prison for now. So John is doing nothing wrong except following God. And he finds himself in prison. Here's another story. It's from Deuteronomy 32. That very day, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up to this mountain of, of the Eberim, uh, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die. Go there and die on the mountain, which you go up and be gathered to your people, as Aaron, your brother, died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen. And because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel, for you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. So in this story, Moses spends 40 years leading the grumbling people out of Egypt into freedom. And God says after 40 years of object cause and struggle and, 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 and meaning and going for it, after 40 years, he doesn't get what he was shooting for and he has to go somewhere else to die. So in the first story, this guy's doing nothing wrong. He finds himself in jail. 
In the second story, the guy is faithful for 40 years, makes a few mistakes, and he finds himself missing out on what he thought he always wanted. Here's a third story um, about a guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a kid prophet, and he gets very disappointed with God. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 20. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me. So he's calling God a liar. He's like, hey, God, I'm calling you out on your lie here. You have deceived me, and I was deceived. In other words, you got me. You got me, bro. Hey, you got me good. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. In other words, I give, I submit, I tap out, right? You deceived me, I was deceived. You got me. You're stronger than me, you prevailed. I tap out. I have now become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. So in this story, Jeremiah is just doing his best to hear God and say what God's saying. And it's backfiring on him and people are laughing at him and mocking him. And now the word of the Lord, which should bring life for him, has become a reproach and a derision all day long. Here's a fourth story about a lady named Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will know no end. Sounds like good news. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of of God. That's Luke 1, 22 to 25. Now, skipping forward 13 verses. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now in Mark chapter three, verse 20, this is what it says. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him and they were saying he is out of his mind. So this child ends up becoming an adult. No one's buying this story. In the Mary story, you imagine trying to convince people you didn't know anything? And let me just, a quick cultural thing. In their world, if you got pregnant, and she would have been probably 13. I mean, the way marriage worked, you had your first period, and then you were sort of betrothed within six weeks, and then married pretty quickly after that. So, so if, you, if you were pregnant before the appropriate time, that what your family did was they did something called sitting shiva with you. Sitting Shiva is a ritual of mourning the death of someone. It's seven days where you sit with them um, after someone has died. But in this case, they would have done sitting Shiva with her. And then after that, she would have been considered dead. This is why later they end up in a town way far away. But then Caesar requires everybody go back to their hometown to do the census. And it just happens to be the time she's fixing to give birth. They're in their hometown and you don't, you mean to tell me not one person had a spare room? Not one person had a spare couch? Not one person had a spare space on the floor? No, she finds herself in a barn because she had been disowned. So in this story, she is submitting to the will of God and she ends up in a barn in labor. In this story, Jesus is submitting to God and the crowd is calling him out of his mind. In this story, Jeremiah is submitting to God and people are mocking him all 
the day long. In these stories, from the narratives of Scripture, John the Baptist is doing everything God's called him to do, and he ends up in jail. In these stories, in these narratives, we should be able to find ourselves in these stories, that their story is not unlike ours. Sometimes it's not that we're doing something wrong. Sometimes we're doing everything we could do to follow God, but we find ourselves in a jail. We find ourselves in this oppression. We find ourselves being mocked. We find ourselves being, being tried to, in some, in some cases, disowned. Like Mary, in some cases, people think you're out of your mind, right? In some, in some cases, it's this. But what you find in this story is that the people in this story, they weren't necessarily doing a lot of wrong things. Actually, some of them were doing nothing wrong. Sometimes the story of our journey in faith with Christ is a journey of the struggle. And, and the question is, is what does faith look like in that struggle? Not how do I have enough faith to get out of the struggle, but what does faith look like in the middle of it? This is Luke chapter 4, verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. That's a bad... If I put it in today's language, after he finished preaching the sermon, the whole church was infuriated with him. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. I've had, some, I've had mostly positive responses to my sermons, but never a negative response that included throwing me off a hill. This is what they're doing. Jesus is just following his father, his, his father. He's just doing his best. He's doing everything he could do to fulfill what God had given to him in the world. And people are trying to throw him off the cliff. Now, let's, let's ask ourselves what happened in these stories. And then let's see where we find ourselves in it. Um, one, Jeremiah and Mary were simply doing the right thing. And even in that, it fell apart. The idea that if we're doing the right thing, it will all work out. Is, it, it, it'll all work out like we imagine. That's just a myth. It's just not True, it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. This is Mark 14, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit there while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. So Jesus is having a, a despairing to even live. He's in so much pressure. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible that the hour might pass from him. In other words, if there's any way that we can get around this, let's not have this be the way. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What you find in Christ is not the absence of doubt. You don't. You don't find the absence of questions. You don't find the absence of certainty. That you, you do find the absence of certainty. You definitely don't find the presence of uncertainty. You, you, you find him despairing to life itself. You find him doing everything God's asked him to do, but yet having profound doubts, profound questions, but profound uncertainty. But what you do find that is moving is surrender. I know you could do all things, and if you can, remove it. But if you can't, I'm going to trust that you are God and I am not. That is the invitation to live. See, some observations about this. The cup was an ancient symbol of wrath. So there, there was a struggle for surrender, even with Christ. The pressure of this makes Jesus collapse to the ground and despair at life itself. See, the problem in this story is that there's, it brings up all kinds of questions about what we think God is like. So, so the questions we hear a lot in, in the middle of trying times is, why can't God just fix it? He could fix it like that. Like, all things are possible, right? If, 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 if all things are possible, why wouldn't God fix it like that? And evidently, J Jesus uh, pointed that out as well. So did Jeremiah. So, so did Moses, right? So, so evidently, our struggle is their struggle. 
So here's the challenging part of the story. Jesus either can't or he won't control Judas who betrays him. He either can't or he won't control the disciples who desert him. He either can't or won't control the Jewish leaders who are conspiring against him. Jesus either can't or he won't control people, places, and things. Because that's how religion works. Evidently, Jesus chooses a greater ethic, which is love. And love requires us to surrender even to the point of death. Love says surrender is where life starts. Control will put us in jail. Surrender is where life starts. Evidently, what we find in this story, and I hope this inspires us, is that Jesus can only control his own surrender. He can't control them. He can't control them. He can't or won't control them. He can't or won't control him. He can't or won't control that. He can't or won't control that. But what he can control is his own surrender. And if Jesus is a bullet point on a pamphlet, this is very difficult to live by. But if Jesus is the fundamental way we're supposed to see our world, then maybe we're not called to figure everything out. Maybe we're not called to be certain about everything. Maybe we're not called to live doubt-free. But we are called to a profound life that invites us to surrender to our lack of control. Maybe one of the lessons we learn from this story is that life actually starts when we fully surrender and admit we can't control it. So, so let's, let's ask a few questions about this because we don't want to just know what happened. We want to ask what's happening in me right now because of what happened. So a couple of thoughts about this for us today. What, are, are we in the prison right now of trying to control someone? We just can't get them to do what we want. And, and at some point, hopefully, we don't live our whole life in the prison trying to control somebody else. At some point, we realize that we can't control them while remaining in love, so we will surrender. So, sometimes we find it easy to submit our lives to God, but actually what this is calling us to do is to also submit their lives to God. That if God's at work in me and God's at work in them, then we can trust God with them as well. N number two, are we trying to control our circumstance? We just can't get it to move. Obviously, right now in the world, there's a, a virus pandemic. And part of the invitation, I think, in this is for those of us who are control freaks and like to figure everything out and, and we're the problem solvers. But part of that is when you can't see the problem and you can't control the outcome. I own a business and that business is in a bit of peril if crowds can't meet. Maybe you're a part of a tourism industry. Maybe, maybe your job is in peril. And, and so what it does is, is it makes us fight. We, we ask the same questions the Bible characters ask. So don't feel bad when you ask these questions because they're the same questions Jesus asked. If it's all possible for you, why can't you fix it another way? If, 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 if your hand isn't short, why don't you do something about, is there another pathway through this? But the invitation of Jesus doesn't stop with the question. It stops with the surrender to, hey, when it's out of my control, I'll surrender. In the story, John the Baptist surrenders and he has life. Moses surrenders and has life. Uh, Jeremiah surrenders and ends up being one of the greatest prophets of all time. Um, Jesus surrenders and obviously that story is still being told. Mary surrenders and that story is still being told. M maybe the invitation to live and build faith in trying times is the invitation to surrender despite our lack of being able to get our head around it. Uh, uh, number three, are we learning to surrender which leads to freedom? That what we find in the biblical narrative is surrender leads to freedom. Number four, 
Control and manipulation lead to prison. Surrender for even them leads to freedom. So here's my question as I look straight into your room. Are you surrendered? The the question isn't, do you have enough faith to get out of it? The, The question isn't, is there a Bible verse that answers the whole thing? Somebody wrote me the other day and said, Shane, what's the Bible say about the coronavirus? Nothing. It wasn't around. The Bible doesn't say anything about rocket ships either. That, that, that's not a thing. But, but the Bible does tell the moving, inspiring narratives of how people navigated their struggle. And that is inspiring. Because the truth of it is, people say, where is God in all this? Well, God is present in those healthcare workers given their lives. God is present every time a young person picks up food for an older person and drops it at their front door to make sure they're not in danger. God's present in that. God's present anytime we suffer a little for the sake of the most vulnerable. God's present in that. God is present in all the narratives, not because of the lack of struggle, but because of the struggle itself and the invitation to surrender. So one of the ways we build faith in trying times is we say yes to the invitation to surrender because surrender is freedom. Can we admit that our control isn't working? Even our attempts to control it, it's not working. Our attempts to control them, not working. That true love is surrendering to God for us and also surrendering to God for them. Surrender versus control gets to the question of who God is. Are we still trying to control it while proclaiming with doctrine he is God? Or can we surrender that God is God and we are not. The question in trying times is, can we let God be God? What you find in the stories of Jesus, Mary, John the Baptist, Moses, and Jeremiah, is that oftentimes it isn't something you've done. And it's not God being mad. It's just life. And that life runs on a cycle of death and life, and death and life, and death and life. And the meaning in life is often found in the struggle. Can we live surrendered instead of trying to control it? May Christ be bigger in our world today. Grace and peace, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We pray that you would activate something in your life and shift your life towards Jesus. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, just click follow. We love you. Have a blessed week.